Are we all recording? I'm recording. Uh... Figured we all knew what we're doing by this point, but doesn't hurt to check. Don't assume when it's me. Nope. <laughs> Welcome back to Team Cockroach, a podcast about The Good Place by Mike Schur, a weekly comedy that was on NBC for four years to its last episode a couple weeks ago at this point. So we are uh, we are doing a, well, we did a flashcast of all the episodes from The Good Place from, let's say, about uh, episode five of season two all the way through to the end and then some recaps of earlier ones. And now we are doing a final retrospective on the whole show. So let me introduce my co-host. I am Andrew Pontius. And next, let me introduce Sarah Gardner. Uh, greetings. Everything's fine. It really is, right? <laughs> it really is. Uh, have your Matusevich. Come on in. I really thought that I had recorded a retrospective, so I guess that I must have messed up. I hope that I make it through the system this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always good hope. Uh... Rachel Adelman, you're in the good place. Oh, wow. <laughs> Alrighty, so this is a listener podcast. We don't really bring it up all that often, but we are we are all listeners of the Incomparable Podcast Network. Uh, it's incomparable.com. And they have allowed us a space on their network to have this little podcast that we've been doing for about two and a half years now. Um, and we've also had some guests from the uh, from the mothership on in various episodes. Uh, so again, this is sort of going over the lag, going over the whole, the whole show. So why don't we start with just sort of opening statements, opening whatever people have, what are, what are people's thoughts on this show that we just spent two and a half years on? So it's a weirdly shaped show, <laughs> um, in that like it leaves a hole that doesn't really know how to be filled. And you kind of knew that from at least by the end of season one, that you really had something just weird and sort of indescribable. And it feels just as special as it always did now that it's over. Also, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We're right. So, you know, you come to the, the very bare, most, most bare essentials of, um, the description and it's it's a mainstream comedy on NBC, right? So it was being shown on regular uh, broadcast television, which means it has a certain shape to it, even if it was kind of the weirdest shape that you could put inside that shape. You know, it was a half an hour show. It was um, it was a comedy. It was mostly you know kind of a lot of laughs to it. It wasn't meant to be you know some gritty serious thing going on. And they didn't really transgress too far beyond sort of mainstream kind of mores. There wasn't like sex or violence or a lot of swears or anything like that. So they had a certain, it had a certain shape and then it had to make its own thing inside of that. I think that might've been one of the most interesting things for the start, sort of what, what they've decided to do about that. Yeah. And that's interesting because maybe that's why the show chose to, to lean in on something so heavy and um, hard to, to reconcile like the idea of death and the, uh, it, it allowed the show to be a lot more adult and leave you wondering and leave you thinking about uh, all these philosophical questions that just can't be filled. Like Sarah said, it's it's not the show that it's going to be all answers because we really have like a concrete idea of, of death and everyone, according to their 
religious beliefs or lack thereof will have their own interpretation, but it's not it's not full, it's not concrete. The show is just starts with a question and it ends with a question and it never it never tries to completely answer that and I think that's that's interesting. And that's something that's somehow allowed on NBC on a weekly comedy. And I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I think it it was very it's very clever in a way that you don't see a lot of comedies do these days. It makes you think. Most comedies you tune in, you laugh, you want to not think when you watch a lot of mainstream comedies and the good place sort of Right. It, it's shenanigans, right? It's it yeah. Yeah. You know, you want to relax after a long day of work, so you turn on comedies, which is not a bad thing. But The Good Place sort of took that idea and flipped it on its head. It had the funny stuff, it had light moments, but it also kind of made you wrestle with a lot of questions about life and death, heaven and hell and all sorts of different things. So I feel like it accomplished that mission well, even if it didn't always go the direction I thought it would or the direction I wanted it to, it I feel like it continually upended your expectations. I liked too that like it always expected you to go with it wherever crazy place it went. And we did because the show earned that. Like it just threw everything at the wall and we were along for all of it. I think one of the one of the interesting things that we're kind of uh, working so working around here is and it was a it was a fantasy, right? Like it 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 came at the idea of death by putting it in this candy colored shell with a lot of you know both highbrow and lowbrow jokes going along with it, and kind of you know the, the, the cutesy music, right? So it, it it really tried to pull out a lot of the the grittiness, a lot of the the anxiety you might feel about all you know. And again, you know. Everything's fine, right? It says at the very beginning. And of course, everything's not fine, but you're still in this world where it feels like you're a little safer. Like, you know, even the chaos sequences were, you know, funny things happening to people. Like no one was like trampled when, you know, the giant giraffes went by and no one, you know, well, actually, no, somebody got hit by a giant turkey, turkey carcass, right? turkey carcass, right? Well, that was, I'm not sure we ever saw that, right? So in any case, it, it really felt like it was, it was, it made all that work by putting you by pulling it outside of regular human experience and putting you in this funny little fantasy world. And for me, actually, that it goes far beyond that because at first I was thinking, well, that was what they were thinking the good place was was this funny fantasy world. But really, the whole show was this funny fantasy world. Even when they went to, uh, on adventures to other places, even when they came back down to Earth, like all of Earth was really that same funny fantasy thing. They had you know funny names for what the that airport in Florida. And then the, the the library in Arizona that, you know, everyone was all, – all the boys in, in, in Arizona had people filming porn in it afterwards after the it, they shut down. You know, the, every place was sort of this jokey, funny place in the world. That was the whole show instead of just what the good place was. Even even hell, even even the bad place was a lot of, a lot of jokes uh, too. So I – it was interesting how uh, – uh, uh, consistent they were i think throughout the whole show that was that was their that was their good place that was where they their comfort zone that was where they wanted to be were these sort of jokey fantasy worlds that they were going to lead you through uh uh while you know 
handling whatever MacGuffin or plot they were dealing with. Um, being someone that knew like next to nothing about philosophy, I've never, I don't, maybe had a little bit of philosophy in high school, but since then not taken any philosophy class, I felt like it was a good introduction to a lot of different philosophical concepts and things. And, um, Definitely increased my knowledge about different people, some names that I've heard before, names that I hadn't. I had no clue who Hypatia or Hippusia or whatever, however you say her name, Patty. Um, <laughs> no clue who she was until like the good place and things like that. So I felt like they did a good job at expanding my philosophical horizons. Yeah, I thought that the, the show kind of dropped the philosophy side a bit after maybe half of season two. And at some points you could say that that was for the best, but I also feel like season three was probably the most drained season of all. So maybe they should have stuck with philosophy in a more concrete way than, than they did on earth. But yeah, it it's the hook, right? It's, it's what got you into the door and it put you in the right frame of mind to to consider the show as something different and and something that's trying to answer like a bigger question. So I think the philosophy in a way it's it's still integral to, to the whole experience. We were all thinking about the ethical consequences right from the start and that's what the show is about so even if they they stopped uh, having like lessons after maybe season two that still tinted uh, our our perspective into the show and that's interesting well the show was always about morality right even when it wasn't necessarily quoting philosophers directly it was always you know from the very first episode to the very last episode, they were always very keenly interested in uh, the how moral it was for you to act certain ways towards other people. And I do think that the, you know, the lessons that we get out of it were not really particularly surprising, you know, like you should, you know, counting on your friends is better than not counting on your friends was really kind of one of the biggest lessons of the whole show, which, you know, no one would have argued with if you brought it up separately, you know, that you should, you should be selfless when you can with other people that you shouldn't just do things for your own, uh, for your own gain. Again, no, you know, sort of truisms rather than necessarily the deep philosophy. Um, and then the whole thing about kind of, I think, it, I don't know, like you don't necessarily get a lot of shows talking about death, especially light comedies. Um, but even so this whole idea that, you know, sort of death is journey and it's, it defines our experience is also pretty much, you know, again, you wouldn't get a lot of disagreement. You wouldn't get a lot of people saying that that's shocking to talk about on a show. So yeah, I think in the end it came down to relatively conventional moralisms, more truisms in, in the show, but you know, it doesn't mean it was bad. So I think what, what really, I think, you know, we talked about kind of over and over again was that what we really liked about the show was the characters and the way they handled the characters. So maybe we can maybe turn that turn to that a little bit. I think again, we've, we've, we've often talked about how we really liked the characters, we really like the actors playing those characters, and we were just kind of sticking with them when the show itself might be getting a little a thin, a little thin at times. So I don't know that there are too many shows where the conceit is they have to improve themselves, and 
the fate of them and the world and the show all rest on them improving themselves. And the best moments, I think, were when we see them in surprising ways tackle the real troubles they had on Earth. So when you get the moments where Tahani wrestles with her family, when we go back to Jacksonville with Jason and that one is, you know, heartfelt and all of that, like those little moments are really what you tuned in for. And it extends to characters like Michael and Janet who are learning things too, whether they need to or not. I I really do think that you're right if it didn't have those moments where we got to see them grow and on a more intimate level, um, then we wouldn't be there for when they're running madcap through Australia because we wouldn't care. You know, so we have the, the standard actors that, uh, that we had known about before, uh, Ted Danson and, and uh, Kristen Bell, but then all the, the newcomers, uh, and I'm, let's see if I can name them, uh, Jam- Jamila Jamil, right? And is it Jackson Harper? Am I getting that right? William Jackson. William, William Jackson Harper. And then um, Manny Asinto, uh were the other three uh, humans. And then Darcy Carden was uh, Janet. Um, and they were just all so, so great with what, with what they were doing, especially Darcy Carden. I think I, I watched the, the Janet's episode again, like last night or, or recently. And she just, she's just so great, you know, mimicking other, mimicking the other characters uh, in a way that doesn't feel completely contrived. That's just sort of bringing them to life. Uh, and then just being not a robot, like she was the weirdest character that we had to deal with. And yet I think, you know, especially by the end, we kind of felt like we, we knew her and we liked her and we felt like she'd, um, she'd done a lot. Um, but yeah, so with, with all these characters, I think they, uh, when I was kind of thinking about it, like they, you know, they, they grew, they improved, but I think coming from beginning to end, they actually probably changed less than I thought they did. Like they were still basically those same characters with those same foibles the whole throughout the whole show. I guess the thesis uh, is that it's not so much that you are good or you are evil. It's just that you you are your circumstances, and so you can't just look at someone in a void and try to measure their goodness. It's more like. Well, did you look at their life? Did you look what they they had as parents? That you know, their their life story, and that's that's what it's all about, right? It's about context and what the the bad place, good place thing does mostly is just provide you with with context that allows you to to be a better person, even if you're not fundamentally better or worse, because that's just what is being better if you don't take into account uh, the context that's mostly what the show is about you just set you in the right set of circumstances and see how good you can be or how bad you can be not so much can you be fundamentally better that's that's like a, a truism it can't really be a thing in itself well, certainly the uh, one of the other things we can talk about is the the system, right? So we got introduced with the system to the system in you know the first episode of season one. Uh, Michael goes to some great lengths to give us some exposition about you know the point system and how everybody's judged and how everybody goes to these two different places when they die and the unreasonableness of it or the the 
arbitrariness of it was probably part of the joke from the very beginning. Um, and it was, a lot of it was played for laughs from the beginning. Um, but it really did wind up being kind of the through line of the show that they were saying, yeah, the, this is the system. And this is probably a system that you would recognize if you came from organized religion. Um, although it's it detailed out in a, in a way that's again, is maybe a little unusual. Um, but then, you know, they, they pretty much tore it down. They pretty much found one flaw with it and then another flaw with it and then another flaw with it. And they kept trying to think of different ways to make it better what was wrong with it what to make it better you know the original thought was well the bad place was corrupting it but no it's actually the, the system itself was, was bad you know the all of all of heaven needs to be redone to make a good place for uh so to speak for people after we die and i think the show really liked kind of digging into that not the whole the whole show but they didn't spend all of their time on it but they spent a significant amount of time on you know thinking it through thinking through their again fantasy system and how it should be better how humans could be could be made better I thought the whole system aspect was really interesting, even from the beginning. Like, and for the beginning, you know, you thought there's some something seems off about this. But the first season, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll just go <laughs> along with it. And then by the end of the season, you're like, oh, that's why things seemed a little off. <laughs> but like in season three, when they go to the accountant's office and you find out it's been like centuries since anybody's made it into the good place and you go and like the different things of the consequences of things and you realize how big and complicated life in general is but then to keep track of well going and doing this thing but because you took a car there that takes all your points away because fuel is bad or you know all the different unintended consequences and like that was just fascinating and them having to come up with a way to level all of that out. Yeah, I will say it was more interesting when it was complicated. And at the end, when they just kind of immediately solved all their problems, <laughs> yep. it, it sure had a lot less momentum than us doing all that thinking for, for so long. Yeah, solutions are always much less interesting than the problems, especially in fiction. We are completely biased to to believe in issues, but not so biased to believe in solutions. Well, I mean, what is the solution, right, to that sort of thing? How could you make a a system that would be completely fair to everyone? And you know, again, I've, I've banged the drum before. I guess this will be my last chance to harp on this. Harp, bang, choose choose what instrument are you playing? We, we can't. <laughs> well, you know, so we can't really conceive of a perfect system. It's beyond human comprehension to make everything perfect for everyone. There's always going to be drawbacks to anything we do. And so how do you how do you make that work? We we can't. So the show had to come up with something a little more simple to handle that or 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 not end or end in an in theory unsatisfactory way. Uh so you know, you kind of you kind of feel bad for them a little bit that, that you know, they had to come up with something. They had set themselves up for this that they couldn't really solve it. So, you know, they get ongoing trials for people or they gradually get better as much as they can um, is, you know, it's a decent idea. You could see a lot of, I can see a lot of edge cases to it. You know, what if nobody never improves? What if they're trying to sabotage other people? Uh, lots of things. And they never really, they never really dealt with the concept of like true evil in this show. Like the, you know, it's really kind of uh, more of a, uh, again, sort of a fun kind of fantasy uh, comedy where, you know, the really, the really evil people, they just probably weren't, they just kind of, off to the side somewhere we're not going to deal with them at all but you know and the people who are really kind of hurting like you know eleanor was hurting a lot from what her parents did to her 
but then there, there are worse things. It could have been a lot worse in some ways. So, you know, they didn't deal with that. But yeah, they did raid themselves into a bit of a corner with the with the setup of the show because they were never going to be able to come up with either a, a completely reasonable system or a fixed system or even the the initial system that we know we know it's bad. It's still a bit um, cartoonish. I feel like we could have gotten a, a bit more of, of problem resolution. I feel like we could have had a few more episodes seeing them try to, even season, I don't know, is trying to fix the system, actually fix it and tweak it. And even though the show would then, in between episodes, imply that something else changed that we're not seeing, what we're seeing is not the whole of the changes because... They w that would mean that it would have to explain everything. It would have helped to ease, ease us into the idea that the system is now good, even if we don't know how it works. Instead of now that we know how it works, and it's still a little bit flawed, so why are you doing that? They, they could afford to show the well-oiled machine because we were spending all of our emotional energy saying goodbye to the characters. So it's really easy to like look at all the shortcuts they took or the disappointments in some of the episodes. And there were some. I think they got away with it because they knew that we were caring a lot about the people involved. They had to have known from the time they even started the show that there wasn't going to be an ending outside of the good places, the friends you make along the way. And now say goodbye to your friends. And we all knew that too. Like, you know, I'm, there was never a point when I didn't think that was coming. It was just a matter of like, how squiggly is the line between here and there? And it was really squiggly. <laughs> it was really squiggly. Um, one thing, one way that I was thinking of it um, when I was thinking about what we we're going to talk about today is that the show really had sort of two modes. And one was sort of an iteration of the good place itself, an iteration of that sort of time where they're kind of learning to be good, you know, over and over again. And then sort of the other, another mode, which I was calling sort of fantasy madcap shenanigans. And that was where they were, you know, someone was running around, someone was racing against the deadline. Someone was dealing with something weird in this fantasy world, some sort of made up uh, MacGuffin or challenge or deadline. And everyone was kind of running around, chicken without a head sort of trying to figure that out i think it was interesting if i remember correctly sort of when the good place when we saw the good place the first good place being torn down and we were thinking well what the heck are they going to do next and it actually they weren't really going to change very much because there were already madcap shenanigans within the good place in the previous season and in season two it's just that now they kept them up in other places that were even more made up And, and fantasy than The Good Place itself. And that's just kind of all they did. That's kind of four years of they bounced back and forth between Madcap Shenanigans, Good Place Learning, Madcap Shenanigans, Good Place Learning. And that's, you know, that's what they like to do. It's what I, I think, you know, they were, they, they like to have characters kind of, you know, do these sort of sitcom-y running around and telling lots of jokes and everything. And they also liked kind of characters dealing with becoming, becoming better people. And so it's different proportions of it in each season but there was in every season there was the bit about them learning and you know the first season it was them learning in the very first iteration of the good place and the second season it was the the one after all the other iterations where they uh, they were ready for you know vicky was 
was running the show and they had kept their memories. And then the third season was, what was it? They were on earth and they were in Australia and they were going to learn how to be good there. And then the fourth season, it was with the new people and they were going to learn, those people were going to learn how to be good. But then surrounding that and inside all of that was also all these madcap adventures and, 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 and crazy things when, when things went wrong in various ways that the characters had to deal with. First season's version of that felt kind of glued together in a way that was a little surprising, given that they knew it was going to be the last season. It, it felt like they just kind of had to stop some things abruptly and, and tack on other things abruptly to make it all work. And I really wish that they had, and I think all of us have kind of talked about, I really wish they had been able to take more time and make more care with it. And just kind of, instead of it being completely squiggly and maybe, uh, you know, erased line and another line jutting into it. If they had just made able to make it a little more smooth from beginning to end, because they knew where they were going with it. But you know, this is this is what we got, and uh, and and I I don't think they were ready to take either of those things away from any one season. The, the writers and uh, what they were going to give us. So so you know, we get we get kind of what we got. The good place iteration got a little worse each time, <laughs> which is. Um, which is too bad. Like I, I think they did some of the best good place iteration the very first time. It just sort of felt like they had more time to, to have everybody, you know, doing their thing and learning what it was like to be good and learning the good sides and bad sides of it. And then they kept trying to repeat it for subsequent seasons with, with iterations to it. And, you know, there's sometimes in some shows and some movies where they kind of build on what was there before and they build something better on top of it. And I don't quite feel that they got that, this time around so you know then people will say well it's too bad we only got four seasons i kind of would rather that they hadn't tried to make another copy of it in season five of that same thing yeah i would say and this is probably blasphemy um not a joke but uh i would have been fine had it been two seasons um but really yeah. jam-packed mm-hmm. seasons that you know like you get the first one with its reveal, and then you get the sharp decline and its reveal. But then you don't get to spend as much time with all the characters. So, I mean, I I don't know. I, I feel like it could have been tighter, definitely, in places. And it did start to get a little repetitive, even when it was zany, because you we were working within the confines of the show. Like, we, we got the gimmick. So when it would start us over in some new way, it was still starting us over. Um, I don't think we needed to spend as much time with the four people we met this season. I don't feel like we had to spend as much time on earth as we did. Um, but if, if I, you know, if who knows what we wouldn't have got. So, um, if this is the show they wanted to make, then I'm glad I got to watch it. I feel like if it had ended after two perfect seasons, I'd always want more and be like, oh, but what if they would have gotten more time? And now it's like, okay, I see what they did with it. And I'm happy with what they did and the time we got. Like, it's enough that I don't, not that I'm not sad that it's over, but I'm not asking, oh, I feel like they should come back and make another season. Like, it feels complete and done like it doesn't feel like something that people are in two years are going to be like oh you should reboot that show whereas if it had just done like two jam-packed seasons i feel like that might have been the response yeah i think that that's that's a bit uh, of the issue with making television that you can have such a big deviation from 
conception to realization because you're maybe writing an outline for four seasons on season one and probably if you show me an outline of of the show i would say that seems like a good plan it seems like it's an interesting idea and it doesn't look like it's going to be full of filler or repetition or it's going to get tiring but then you do it and you do season one and then you do season two and years go by and It's not all planned out from the beginning because you can't plan every production detail from the beginning. You don't know how it's going to play with the audience. You don't know how it'll all work and how it'll all be implemented. So that that gap between conception and creation, it allows for the show to kind of tumble a bit and you have to be like a very good steward of the show and you have to choose either to stick to the plan which is can be good but generally there are things to be tweaked or you can just throw it all by the side and uh, start something new and uh, sometimes it feels like the show loved their outline too much and they didn't stop to think should we tweak this is this perfect is this the best possible version of the show that we can make and that kind of hurts you a little because you're just sticking to your baby because it's yours and not thinking about what's best for the baby but i do feel like i mean even if we've got things to say that may not be like glowingly positive this is this is a show for the ages for sure like it's not one where I could say to myself, hey, I'm going to eat dinner, throw on a good place because I would be at a loss for which season we're in or where they're what they're doing or what just happened before and what just happened after. Like it's it's not that kind of half hour comedy, but I could see myself revisiting this in, in its entirety just because of what it tried to do and what it was about, which most comedies aren't about anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rachel, did you have anything to, to add to that? No, yeah, not much else. <laughs> they needed to do more with Tahani. Then we'd all be happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just give yeah. Tahani something. Give her something it, to do. <laughs> that That is one comment with... With the exception of Tahani in this last season, I feel like for the most part, they did a really good job about giving all the actors things to do throughout the all, all four seasons. Like they balanced it out. It wasn't always just the Eleanor show, which I feel like it could have been based on what the casting was and all of that. But they learned how to play to everyone's strengths and make the story interesting for all of our main people. Yeah, and sometimes it took some doing. I mean, there was there were some love triangles going on at various points between different characters. I mean, at the end of and if you've you've watched the end of season one, but you know there was a point where Tahani thought she was in love with Chidi, right? Like, when did that happen? Oh, I forgot about that one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at least that gives her something to do. And then you know, at the beginning of season two, she's she's wearing cargo pants, right? And she's being tortured in various ways. And 
That was that was adorable. Oh, she has that super short soulmate with the cargo <laughs> right. pants. Yeah. They live in that right. tree. Was it a tree house? <laughs> <They're> in, yeah, <laughs> she yeah. has a living. So she got the little house that time, and uh, yeah, you know, so they got to they got to do a lot with these with these characters. Uh, yeah, um, and they were all in again. They all kind of did it so well. I think I've, I've mentioned how uh, many Sinto, like his his affect with um, Jason was just so amazing. Like he made. Even this, the craziest lines, like he just made everything work for for Jason. So uh, he 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 made the best with what he was given, and you know, like Janet. I was actually trying to spot checking some episodes and looking at Janet and like how Darcy Carden was portraying her. Like I kind of I think it changed less than I thought it was going to. Like she was always kind of this weird smiley person just the whole time through and Darcy Carden just kind of nailed it like you, you never thought well this is a person playing a crazy robot right like no she just just did it so I mean Janet my goodness the versatility the the layers the quirkiness the fact that she's not a girl uh the number of times that she is essentially the one that saves them um <laughs> I, you know, and you know, Michael's super layered too. Um, he goes from demon to not to wanting to be human to being human or teaching the humans how to be more human. Um, I would say I liked the I liked the beginnings of all the characters that we got at the very start of uh, Team Cockroach. So basically. The Eleanor we got at the beginning, the Jason we got at the beginning, like Chidi and Tahani, we we had a really good sense of all those characters from the get-go, with with the exception of Jason until he actually spoke. But um, I feel like they really had a handle on everyone right at the start. Like, you've got all these terrible things that Eleanor had done in her life, and we live with that with her, and... At first, you don't even think she's going to change. And then, of course, you know, by the end, she she may have changed the most just because she would never think to do the things that she did on Earth. Um, but, you know, when we had a really strong sense of who Chidi was or when we had a really strong sense of who Tahani was and what her frailties were, like, they they did just such a great job of that. And sometimes they got a little lazy about it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I... The the real, like you said, like the real reason we love this show is because we love the characters. Yeah, I'd say that the best part of the characters is how they play to each other and how the ensemble worked flawlessly 99.9% of the time. They always found a, a way to tie them all together and not give anyone a ton of protagonism or make it a, a, a single person episode. They they almost always try to tie everyone in and they did a pretty good job and and you could feel that these these characters were really really friends and uh, and they complemented each other more more like facets of a personality than than as characters independent from each other. They they made each other look good, which if you didn't have that, then yeah. it wouldn't work as well. It's interesting. You talked about Michael. Um, I do think that in the same way that the 
that the show had kind of a comfort zone about God of these characters. The way they really wanted to always portray Michael was as the sort of bumbling, hapless do-gooder. And they, you know, got to have their cake and eat it too, because they got to have that be sort of him portraying a role in season one. And then within a few episodes, he's kind of back to that. Even in season two, like he kind of switched around. I think we actually mentioned it at one point in one of our episodes. Hey, suddenly Michael's kind of a good guy again. How did that happen? They didn't really earn that. And I think they kind of switched back to him doing that again, maybe without earning it, because they just really wanted it, right? Like, they wanted to write Michael. They wanted to write Ted Danson as being his generally nice person, kind of bubbling. He has his own flaws, but, you know, he's kind of the helper for everyone else. And that's where the show worked best. And they just, you know, they just hit those notes over and over and over again for most of the seasons. Uh, he did get a, you know, a, a nice little heel turn at the end of the, the first season. And I guess this is where I remember that I probably should have put that this is a spoiler zone at the beginning of the episode. But, um, but uh, you know, he only had a few episodes of, of doing that. And, and even that, even during those few episodes where he was being the bad guy, he was still kind of being a mentor in certain ways. These characters, like, they just couldn't stop themselves from doing that with him. And I did, you know, I liked it. I liked it all the way through. I think that was one of the good, good parts of the, of the show that they, they really pretty much, they knew what they were doing when they did it. And of course, Ted Danson can hit it out of the park. And, and I liked it. I mean, that's, that's the whole premise of the show. You, he, he was a demon, but he was never portrayed as super evil. More like, I don't know, this is my show. <laughs> Well, right, like, and, like, uh, when, I like human stuff. When he revealed himself as being the big bad, the worst thing he could do to those characters was sit down and push a little plant off of the table. Like that was him showing how bad he was. And I, you know, look, looking at that now, like, oh, of course, Michael. Oh, Michael. <laughs> that's 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 the worst thing you can think of to do after you've been found out. That's, that's yeah. He was never he was never really evil. Yeah, he was just I guess misguided. He. He grew up in a demon family and had demon friends, and yeah. all he could think yeah. about was being a demon. The, but the, the, the only job you could have was torturing humans when you're born a fire yeah. squid. So, <laughs> yeah, he was being typecasted, basically. It's the system that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we saw that with, in some ways, I think. Glenn, too, as kind of the bumbling demon that maybe wasn't entirely evil the whole time. Like, he right. had moments that you're just like, you know, this guy's not half bad. And then he exploded into goo and, you know, it's all all crazy after that. But If this is kind of going to be its own unique thing, what is that... What does that mean? What what's that? Is it going to change anything about TV? Is that going to change anything about TV for us? What do we think its legacy is? I think... It's going to allow new creators to really put brave things out there, and hopefully shows will take those chances. I mean, NBC did this because it was Mike Schur, so yeah. it, it couldn't have just been some kid out of college with a crazy idea. I mean, they they knew what they were getting, at least with him, but hopefully, now that it exists and it's been put to film... Some of the more out there comedies can find a home, especially if it was relatively successful in the ratings, which I am I'm not sure whether it was or not. I know it yeah. had a lot of mm. word of mouth buzz and everybody was telling their friends, you got to see this show. 
um, that is a thing that networks still like. So, and isn't that kind of what happened with Parks and Recreation? That it didn't necessarily have the best ratings, but it was real. It made NBC look good. I think. I think I heard reading. Uh, I read at some point about maybe 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 not. But uh, yeah, I don't think this was a really high ratings earner for the NBC. But yeah, I, I don't think much is high ratings earners anymore in general. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, yeah. There is that. Um, I do think that there have been a lot of sort of um, really innovative and really out there dramas, especially gritty dramas. You know, like maybe Westworld or uh, Breaking Bad or a lot of other things where they, you know, a lot of these you know, dramas where lots of very bad things happen. And it would be nice if this were able to spark kind of more um, invention and more imagination for, you know, nice little sitcoms, which are not, you know, trying to be, you know, really dark and gritty and, and everything. and But, you know, just being sort of light and maybe a little fluffy and, but still kind of challenging in their way. It would be, I think it'd be nice if that helped with that, because I don't think we, it's one reason we don't see a lot of that. I think people in TV think the only way to be innovative is to go dark and uh, hopefully not. I mean, it, it does bode well that streaming is so readily available. And I mean, maybe we don't get shows like Russian Doll, you know, it is darker than The Good Place, but it tackles a lot of heavy lifting subjects for being a comedy, an actual really funny comedy. Maybe it doesn't exist if this isn't here. And maybe there's the next really great show that's going to come out because of this show. You know, I actually do think Netflix really helped with the success of The Good Place because a lot of people were able to see it. I think on Netflix, you weren't going to watch it on regular network TV. Yeah, I think this is not going to be opening any doors for any new shows, mostly because I feel like when you're trying to sell a TV show, you have to compare it to something else that was really successful. So you have to say like, I don't know, this is the Game of Thrones of making pizza. <laughs> and um, I don't think because the show is such a thing in in itself, that's such a one-off thing, very much of their own. I don't think you can sell anything by saying this is the the good place of something. So yeah, I... I don't see a, a path for this to open doors, but I do see NBC as a network that has historically taken some chances with weirder stuff. So I hope they continue doing that because it works for me. I, I like a lot of NBC stuff, even if it's not like a, a record breaker, I guess that it must work for them. Siri? <laughs> you mean uh, Janet? <laughs> um, I think maybe the the legacy will be. Hopefully, this will open some doors for some of the other writers that were on the staff uh, of mm -hmm. the Good Place. You know, like um, Megan Amram is what I'm thinking of, but I know there are others too, and directors, and then. Hopefully, we'll see more of this cast in other things, right. too. Mm -hmm. I feel like that potentially could be the doors that open coming out of this, is seeing some other people that have gotten chances to work with and write under, make sure getting to run their own show. I'm excited to see where a lot of that staff goes next. 
Well, William Jackson Harper has certainly uh, been in some commercials. He may not have been in other ones. <laughs> yep. He was on Broadway last year, too. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Was he, Seriously? Yeah. yeah was on- it was a play. I don't remember what the play was. I tried to get tickets, but I couldn't go see it. And he was in Midsommar, which is a movie that is too scary, and I will not see it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I haven't seen it either. <laughs> but... but uh, yeah. d- Jamila Jamil is going to be hosting a reality show. That's what I heard. I don't know what Manny Jacinto is doing next, but he, I think, will land just fine on his feet. And I hear that <laughs> Ted Danson's really going places. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this would normally be the part of the show where we talk about the joke machine, but since we're not reviewing an actual episode, we don't necessarily have any specific jokes to go over. So I think we came up with some questions, and I'm not quite sure where we're going to go with this, but we've got some questions here. So maybe we can go around, or maybe just whoever has the best answer can kind of raise their hand and talk about it. But um, what do we think? Um, we're talking about favorites. Um, who was our? Who was who was your favorite minor character? Like who was not one of the main cast, but someone else who came in? I think I have a good idea of what our, the main answer is going to be. Most of you are really going to like, but. Um, Someone who wasn't in the main cast, who only came on occasionally. Who was who was the, the minor character you liked the most? I think for me it was Sean. Yeah. Huh. Was there any, anybody for not anybody who wasn't Sean? Raise your hand. Uh Derek is my favorite uh, minor yes, character yes. by a long not shot. Surprised. <laughs> and Javier also Derek or someone else? No, Glenn. Glenn. Okay. Oh, hey. So we're all different. Yeah. Um, and then mine. <laughs> I, I have to. I would have to admit that Sean was probably actually the best minor character we got to see. But I was going to be contrarian and say Vicky. I can see that because I did. I did like Vicky. I'm, I'm not sure they. She got the best. But she. She was going through the first episode where she is revealed as the demon, and then the last episode where she talks. Like she's all about acting. Like that's her through line for the entire character. So she was at least <laughs> consistent about that. Okay. Well, she's a demon, so I guess that tells you a lot about what Mike Scher thinks about actors. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then let's see if we people can come up with a favorite episode. I mean, it feels like chalk, but the Janet's episode. Yeah, no, that was a good one. Uh, Rachel? But then also... Yeah, oh, sorry, go oh, on. Well, no, I'll let you guys answer because you'll probably come up with my second one. <laughs> my next? Okay. Um, I would say I'm going to go... I think it's episode... It'll double check episode four, uh, Tahani Al Jamil, which is oh, yeah. really when we find out who Jason is. You know, we find out at the very end of episode three when he like freaks out. Right. But then that episode where Eleanor and Shidi are dealing with the fact <laughs> that Jianyu is Jason, Tahani's trying to open a restaurant. I forgot how funny that chef character was, the yelling chef, the yelling happy chef, the whole, I've just rewatched it recently, but like that episode, I feel like there's a lot of things, especially rewatching it, knowing the torture that Michael was putting on them. That episode was I think the point where I'm like, this is going to be a really good show. Was that the butthole joke? Is that where that got started? Yeah, yeah, that's where we got (laughs) the introduction of the butthole. And we heard about (laughs) stupid Nicks. We saw Jason throw a Molotov cocktail for the first time. You know, genesis of a lot of jokes. Glenn falls in a hole. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Javier, what was your uh, favorite episode? 
Yeah, it's season two, episode two, best self. It's the episode that has the goodbye party when they think that they're going to be get, uh, they're going to be captured by Sean and the demons, and they have like this, this party, and they name Michael honorary human, and they're all honest and open with each other. I feel like it's one of the most poignant episodes, and it really stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I really like, I really like that episode as well. Um, cause that was in the running for me, but for me, my favorite episode was, I think it was the second or third episode in season two, dance, dance resolution. Um, I think that was, a, cause that was the one where Jason and Michael have their talk and Michael's like, I'm at my, I'm at my wits end. I don't know what to do. So what the heck I'm going to talk with, with Jason. And then Jason gives his little dance, dance resolution story. And Michael's like, yeah, that was really ridiculous, but that gave me an idea. And it, uh, I just loved the two of them. I'm not sure we ever quite saw the two of them acting together like that uh, again. Because, you know, just didn't really get a lot of one-on-one talks with people, I don't think, except maybe Eleanor. But I just loved the way those two bounced off of each other. And, and this was also, um, you know, uh, Michael being, he being mean, but he was also just sort of being himself. I just, I just love that scene so much. Um, so yeah, so that's, oh, and then can, can we actually come up with a favorite joke? I actually didn't have time to look at, look at the old jokes myself. So there are so many jokes. There are. I can, yeah. I can tell you that there is one that is very much under the radar, but it tickles me. And that is the visual joke, but also the dialogue surrounding the fact that, um, Chidi can summon books like Thor. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> I just think that that being the one thing that brings him the most joy in the world is just perfect. And it makes me laugh just thinking about it. Um, I'm I'm not 100% sure how to frame it because it's also a big plot point, but I like Michael having a midlife crisis. I like his... His uh, the way that he faced it with having the Janet uh, and the car and the way <laughs> right. that he spoke yeah. and the, the the sunglasses that was fun. Yeah. yeah, I think my favorite running joke is just all of Tahani's random celebrity stories. Everything from James Franco and his ironic trolley to um, Johnny Depp, but you know just. It, you never knew what was going to come out of her mouth <laughs> with a celebrity of random things that you learn. I still want, still don't know what happened with Bruno Mars and <laughs> Dr. Ruth. Yeah. Somehow they wrote Uptown Funk. Some, was a basketball player involved too? I can't remember who else. <laughs> yeah, when she always mentioned them by first name, right? Like you could infer who they were, but it took you a minute to sort of figure <laughs> it out, right? Yeah, her godmother, Diana. I'm not going to mention what she was princess of. (laughs) My friend Kanye took the microphone out of my friend Taylor to talk about my other friend Beyonce. (laughs) And some of it was that they just kept coming up with them. Like the writers must have had like a hundred of those ready to go. But then the other one was, again, just Jamila Jamil was just so good at just, you know, rattling them off in in the midst of, of other things. It's just, uh, I think it wouldn't have worked with, with, uh, with a lot of other uh, actresses. So yeah, that worked really well. Um, there was also the, uh, the, when Eleanor was dealing with the, the filter, 
the the swear filter. And uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there were a lot of really fun ones, but you know, the one that just sticks to my mind was uh, what was it? She's saying, you know, I'm, you know, when I say, oh, what is it? Ash, ashhole. I'm not saying <laughs> ashhole. I'm saying ashhole, right? And just the way she said, it, I was like, yes, I know exactly what you're <laughs> saying. But of course, she's always just saying ashhole. So that, that tickled my fancy. Yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of Jason moments that we're not thinking of at the moment. Um, he just said so many weird things. Um, and even just from the beginning, like, what was it like? I, something like, uh, I got, I got in trouble, you know, one time he's talking about this getting in trouble when I, my jet ski hit a manatee and it's in, you know, I live in Florida. That happens all the time or something. And that was, mm-hmm. that was, I think one of his first lines, right. To, to Eleanor. That, like, yeah. At the end of that. That was yeah. in, uh, the episode I mentioned uh, yeah. to honey, Al Jamil. Yeah. He, that was one. And there was something else that was like very much, I, th- that's when you found out he used to be. Oh, he lists off that he was like an amateur DJ and this and that. And she's like, none of those are jobs. (laughs) (laughs) You ask, ask Jason what he does. He comes up with all these things. I love his love of Pikachu. Just the joy when he sees a Pikachu (laughs) balloon. That, Mm. that works. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think Javier, we have a, we have a request for you to describe the the characters of the good place, let's say the main characters of the good place as as baked goods. Is that something that you're able to do for us uh this evening? Yeah, I think I can do that. Okay. I got uh, Michael as a black and white cookie. He's like uh, all the yin and yang, the light and the dark. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. He used to be a demon, now it's a god. And it isn't the combination what makes us all human, right? That's true. It makes us all cookies. <laughs> makes us all sweet and sugary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> delicious. Yes. Um, I got Tahani as a, a luxurious panetone or, or brioche bread. Some kind of over-the-top and rich bread with egg yolks and the fruit and stuff. Because, well, that that's pretty obvious, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something fancy. Yeah. Very fancy. Very expensive. Um, <laughs> I got Jason as a fortune cookie. Um, <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Because uh, he means well, and even he's right every once in a while. Uh, but yeah, all his messages are kind of cryptical and vague. So yeah, Jason. Plus, well, he really deserves to be called baked, right? He's always baked. <laughs> yeah. I got uh, Janet as a bagel. It's a sandwich, a piece of toast. <laughs> She's chewing soft. Versatile and practical. She she is your your bread for every need. She's available for every every reason and she has a giant void inside it, so you know. Oh Javier. Yes. Very good. <laughs> These are really good, Javier. These are, these are good. These are very good. Yeah. You were wondering where I was going with that one. <laughs> so who do we have left? Is it Eleanor? Oh, Chidi. Chidi and Eleanor. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I forgot about Chidi. I guess that says something. <laughs> I completely forgot to write a description about Chidi. Okay. Um, but I got Eleanor as, um, as a sourdough starter because she needs a lot of love and attention and can be a little flaky. If you don't treat it right, but 
with patience she she will become very reliable and she'll be an ace under the sleeve for for every meal for every situation and yep. i guess chidi is fucked because i didn't think about it <laughs> maybe chidi is when you can't decide what recipe to use <laughs> <laughs> i guess that's very right that's kind of perfect actually yeah yeah <laughs> very good And then uh, I think we 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 had the question about what restaurant would you visit, but I didn't get a chance to look at the restaurants. Does any, anybody else have the a restaurant that that they want to mention, or do we want to move on with them from that? Uh, yeah, I'd go to Beignets and the Jets, but <laughs> that's just me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My favorite is sushi and the Banshees. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. Uh, uh, I like chicken soup for the mouth. It's so <laughs> to the point. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> I think there was sticks on sticks was one of them. Yeah. I don't know what they serve, but it sticks. I, I guess it was, just, or it was hot dog on a stick on a stick was also one. I oh yeah, know. yeah. No, I saw that one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that would work, but yeah. question was what would what would your own good place like if you were designing your own good place, not a medium place, a good place, some place to reward yourself. What would you reward yourself with in in a good place if you could sort of have, have anything you wanted? Comfortable couches, reclining chairs, uh, a very stocked up pantry, and a very cool kitchen. Projector with a surround system, internet, a Google computer, and uh, board games and friends to to play them with. I did kind of mention one thing, but that's a lot of things. That that's fine. Yeah, so you're basically populating your home. Well, that's the interesting thing, right? So with, with the good place, um, they did kind of talk about how what if what you want from the good place has to involve other people who aren't necessarily you know ready to always do the same thing. It was, it was an interesting conundrum that they didn't really spend a lot of time on. They spent a little bit of time on. Yeah. So yeah, mm -hmm. um, and of course you probably wouldn't want to be in a good place just by yourself. So th that was going to come up. But no, that's a good uh, that's a good setup. Uh, Rachel, did you have a? I I want. I want the spa that Tahani created for her and John in season three. Yeah. I just want to be able to hang out in a really nice spa yeah. for a day. Yeah. I'll be tired of day. it after a day, but. Okay. Yeah, if we've learned anything, it's that you get tired of what you wanted like right yeah. away. That's true. You wouldn't want to spend eternity in that in that spa. Uh, so, Sarah? So, I actually would want nobody around for a little while. Uh, sure. I don't, I don't get a ton of alone time. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I would just, I would just love for some quiet and like a blanket and nobody needing anything for me for a while. Like th this, this speaks to me because I feel for Janet. Everybody needs something from her all the time. And boy, would I like to give Janet a break because I would like a yeah. break. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So that's mine. I wanted to be quiet and comfy. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And yours, Andrew? Um, so I was kind of thinking about it. I think uh, we had talked about this maybe offline at one point about what we might want to put in our good places. Mm -hmm. And I had said I wanted one of books. Um, but I actually, uh, I have refined that concept since we last talked about it. Uh, and I actually want um, a, a sort of a book list that is sorted according to what I would like to read, what I would get the most enjoyment from reading. And so the most enjoyable reads are at the beginning and then the rest is further back. And considering that it's probably going to be a really long list of books, that means that I, I don't have to sort of 
worry that I'm going to, the next book I'm going to try to read is going to be boring or, or not what I like or whatever else. I can just always know that I can just pick the next book for like a thousand books and just be like, Oh, this is exactly what I want to read. This is exactly what I want to read next. And I guess your bad place is the same, but with the list sorted the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. So that would be, but anyway, that would be what I would want. And of course, you know, it's like podcasts. There are, there are a billion books probably in the world and I'd want to be able to read every language, of course, so that I could read books from any time, including the future, including the future. So that would probably keep me busy for a while. I asked Javier a question. I want to hear his, his answer because I think it'll be good. Who's your famous godparent, Javier? Well, my famous godparent is obviously the incomparable Zeppelin. And yes, the Zeppelin, the actual Zeppelin. <laughs> the Zeppelin? <laughs> Well, if, you know, Big Ben really opened up a lot of possibilities when we found out. <laughs> right. Yep, there you go. Well, I'm not going to top that. I just wanted to know what you heard or what you thought of. That's yeah. goofy. <laughs> Does anyone else have, have godparents that they would like to uh, present to us? Well, now that I know it could be a Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really think about it too much, so I don't think I have one from my own. Because, you know, it's hard. Like, you know, there are a lot of people, right, who maybe they're famous, maybe they're important, but they're not necessarily good people, right? So it's kind of hard <laughs> to be sure. Mm. Um, and, of course, no, none of them have made it to the good place in the last 500 years, so... No, of course. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Maybe the Eiffel Tower can be my godmother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. All right, so we, we're definitely picking landmarks now? Is that, is that the idea? <laughs> Um, <laughs> if big big ben can do it the zeppelin the eiffel tower well the colossus <laughs> i would want to be the colossus of Rhodes, right like like anything like i don't even know what it looks like right because no one really knows what it looks like so i'm sure the local library will take pity on me and and throw me up for adoption so <laughs> and it's Aww. it's being remodeled right now oh <laughs> uh, yeah that's yeah that'll happen yep it'll be nice <laughs> right. Well, um, as as with everything, this podcast must come to an end at some point. Oh. So, do you have any uh, closing thoughts uh, before we go? It's our you know, kind of our last episode of the uh, of Team Cockroach, the podcast Team Cockroach. Now, uh, we may come back in the future. Who knows? We may have other ideas about TV stuff that we want to do, or stuff that we do individually. I'm sure we all have a. A, a grand future in podcasts one way or another. Um, but this is the last episode of this show. So how do we want to end this? What, what are people, anything else people want to say? Oh, I'm just glad I got to spend so much time with you guys. This has been yeah. really nice. Yeah. And you're good people and good friends. And I'm glad we got to watch the show together. Glad we all met each other. And hopefully we've had a couple listeners that have enjoyed go, uh, right. this journey with us. And I'm glad we've just gotten the chance to do it. Yeah, I don't think we ever really told our kind of origin story that, you know, we are all listeners of the podcast network, The Incomparable, so theincomparable.com. You probably know that if you're listening to it. I'm not sure how you'd find us otherwise, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there are a number of different listener podcasts. So people who are not necessarily the regular hosts of The Incomparable shows, but just people who listen to it and people who have paid to be part of members of The Incomparable get to be on the Slack 
And that's a lot of fun. There are a lot of really fun people on there. So if you're on the fence about paying for The Incomparable, I would encourage you to do so. But we were all, mm-hmm. uh, I think, paid member, members of The Incomparable on the Slack. And we just, you know, people were saying, hey, there hasn't been a Flashcast uh, podcast about The Incomparable, excuse me, about The, <laughs> the Good Place, <laughs> um, you know, for the first year that they were there. And and we all kind of came together. We were the first four people who kind of volunteered to be on it. And that's how, so we got together. We had never worked together before. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun for us to do so. And I, this is where I will also thank, uh, again, Jason Snell and the incomparable for hosting this show. Uh, we haven't been, uh, had to deal with any of that stuff ourselves. They've been, they've been happy to host us and, you know, there's the website we're on there as the incomparable slash TV, T E E V E E slash, uh, good place. I think it's a good dash place. Just good place. I think it's just good place. Um, but yeah, we'll be up there and, uh, you know, for all the episodes, if you want to come back, go back and, and listen to them in the future. Um, but yes, yeah, so thank you, The Incomparable. And uh, I guess this is where I thank all of my co-hosts for the last time. Sarah Gardner, thank you for being on Team Cockroach. Thank you for having me, all of you. Yeah. And Javier Mitchell thank you. Much like the show, the most important is not the destination, but the friends you make along the way. And I'll see you guys. That's Aww. it. Yep. Indeed. <laughs> Uh, Richard Adaman, thank you as well. Yeah, thank you, and good night, everyone. Night, everyone, and we will see you around. That kind of broke me. Aww. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about, like, I can't say see you next time, because we're not going to be around <laughs> next time, at least not in this form. No. Nope. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just keep our Slack channel going. <laughs> yeah.